The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Good morning, Doxa. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Ruth, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when they, you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. So we're in our second week of our four-week series on Ruth. We're going to take a pause next week. I'm super excited. Uh, there's a, a new church plant that we are uh, supporting in uh, the inner city of Columbia, and the church planter, uh, Jay Will, is going to be coming in. He's going to be preaching for us next week. I'm super stoked for that, so I hope you are excited as well. Invite your friends. It's going to be awesome, and bring your checkbooks because I'm going to ask for you to support him at the end of that as well. So I'm just, again, laying my cards out there for you guys. This, I'm just letting you know that I'm not sneaking at that. Um, but this, the story of Ruth that we're in, the second week here, we're in chapter two, is really an amazing story. And it's amazing in lots of ways. Uh, those who are like experts in literature and ancient literature can consider it one of the great pieces of literature in history. They consider it a masterpiece of style and, and just the way that it's put together and the storyline itself. Uh, but, it, but it's also a great story because it's really a story about everyday life and everyday people. But one of the things that's, that's spectacular about the story of Ruth is that there's nothing really spectacular about the people who are involved. Uh, we, we see some really cool things, but Ruth is not a spectacular person. She's a really kind of a normal girl is what we're going to see. Uh, 
Naomi is a normal lady, normal older lady. And, and uh, Boaz, I picture Boaz as sort of like uh, the wealthy, rural farmer who still has coffee with his mom every morning and likes to go out and hunt and uh, get out in the fields but never got around to marrying. That's kind of how I view like Boaz. Is he's just kind of a good old boy. You know, like, he's got kind of man where I grew up. You know, he just likes to be out in the woods and messing on the tractor. And he just, like my granddad, like he just never really got around to, to marrying again. And that's kind of what I picture Boaz. They're really normal people. And that should be in, really interesting to us because this is a story about normal people. And, you know, we're kind of normal people, aren't we? Have you ever been, found yourself in a situation where you, you meet somebody and maybe you haven't seen them for a while and they're like, hey, what have you been up to? And, and you have that moment where you're like, how am I going to phrase this because I have really nothing to in, interesting to tell them that I've been up to. It's really, I've just been up to everyday life. Like I wake up and I brush my teeth, you know, I'd you know, go to work, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I've been up to. I changed diapers last night. Like, this is the kind of exciting life that, that, that I lead. And, uh, but this, that's, the story of Ruth is about normal, ordinary people like that, but it shows us how God shows up in the ordinary, how God is at work in ways that we don't see and we can't comprehend in the everyday part of life. That is so easy for you and I to miss if we, don't, if we don't know where to look. It shows us that God shows up even when we don't see it. And it's often in the background. So what's been going on up until now is uh, there's this lady named Naomi, and she was married to this man named Elimelech, and uh, there was a famine in the land of Israel. They were Jews. And so they decided, hey, we're going to move the whole family to Moab, and hopefully we're going to like build a new life there which is kind of an interesting thing to do because the, the, you'd be in the middle, to be in Moab would be in the middle of a people who don't worship the one true God. They worship the God, their own gods there, false gods. And so they, you guys hear that? <laughs> Building fun. So, <laughs> so Elimelech and Naomi take their whole family to Moab in the middle of a, of a whole country that worships false gods, and they have their sons, and their sons get married to local Moabite women, and then something terrible happens. Elimelech, the father, dies, and then both of the brothers die. And so it's left with Naomi and her two children, Orpah, uh, her two, uh, sorry, her two uh, daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And that to, at this time, to be three ladies with no man to look, to look out for you, no man to provide patronage for you, no man to look out for you, would put, make you very, very exposed. And so Naomi says to, to Ruth and to Orpah, like, hey, you guys go back to the, your families, and I'm going to go back to Israel. I hear that they have food again. I'm going to move back there, and I'm going to eke out a meager existence. And, man, you, you're too young to come with me. You should go back, and you should get married again and live full lives. I pray that that would happen for you. And Orpah goes, or sh tears shed, but Ruth says this amazing, this ordinary woman says this amazing thing. She says, I, I will not go. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge or live, I will live. Your God will be my God, and where you die, I will die as well. And so we don't know what happened in here, but we know that Ruth saw something. 
She saw something in the life of Naomi, in the life of Naomi's family. She heard something in the the word of God that that family would have recounted, the deeds of God that they would have recounted, what God had done for the Israelites through the generations. She saw something and felt something in there that she knew there's something real, and she was willing to say goodbye to her family, to her gods, to everything that would be familiar to her in order to go with Naomi back to Israel. She said, your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you live, I will live. And where you die, I will die. So now Naomi and Ruth, they find themselves back in Israel as chapter 2 begins, but things still look very dire. Things are still very serious for them. This is how serious that we know it is. In this section that Madeline read for us, when Ruth decides that she's going to go out and try to find a field where they're harvesting, where she can possibly get some leftovers from the harvest and bring home, she doesn't have enough food to take a packed lunch with her. That's how tough things are for Ruth and Naomi. Things are dire. Things are incredibly, incredibly serious. And that's where we see God really show up. And and here's what I want you to see as we go through this. That's often where you and I see God show up in our lives. When things are dire, when things are serious, whenever we realize that there's no other place that we can look for protection and help other than him that is lasting, there's no other foundation that can be found in him other than him that will last through the storms of life. When we find that, then we find that God shows that we see him showing up and we see him moving, even if it's in the background, but it's oftentimes we miss it because we don't really realize how serious things are. Here's the big idea for us this morning. God is protector for all who seek refuge in him. God is the protector. God is protector for all those, for all those who seek refuge in him. God is protector. So we see Ruth and Naomi. They've moved to Israel. Things are very serious. They don't have food. They are it is incredibly, it's an incredibly tough time. They are, they are really hanging on the razor's edge at this point. And, and the, what they really need is they need someone to step in and to protect them. They need someone to step in and to help them because they are exposed. And, and have you ever felt like you needed protection? Have you ever felt exposed? Have you ever felt overmatched by life? You know, I'll be honest, some days I wake up and I, I know what to do, like, you're right, you know, I just go through life, and I know what to do at home, I know what to do at work, and, you know, just kind of going through the motions, and I feel, but then, this, it doesn't take much of a wrinkle, right? You get a phone call, uh, your child gets sick, you get a letter in the mail, your, your boss wants to talk to you, something happens, it can be those tiniest little tiniest little wrinkle, and all of a sudden, it fills you with a sense of, of dread. It fills you with a sense of, of panic and anxiety, because you, all of a sudden, you realize that you are overmatched in life. You do not have what it takes to get through what is in front of you. It is towering in front of you, and you know you do not have the strength, you do not have the ability, and you wonder, how am I going to get through this day, much less how am I going to get through this year or this life? You're in a terrible relationship, and 
or things are wrong with your kids or your parents, and you're wondering, like, how am I going to get through this? I feel overmatched. I don't know how we're going to get to the other side. And that's exactly where Ruth and Naomi were. Things were incredibly serious. And what they're asking at this point is, where can they find mercy and where can they find protection? And here's the interesting thing that we see happen. They're here at home, and whatever kind of meager existence they had, and, and, and Ruth, this Moabite woman who would have grown up worshiping the false gods of Moab, who now has come with Naomi back to Naomi's homeland, we see Ruth, she says, I'm going to go out this morning, and I'm going to see if there's anyone I can find favor with that will let me glean from their fields. And so what this would look like was there, there was a, a law uh, that... And God, God had a law with his people, the Jews, that said, here's what you do. If you own land, as you are going through and you're gathering the harvest, there will be stalks that will fall to the ground. And there will be corners of your, uh, of your property where, you know, you, you, your plow doesn't make it through or their harvests don't make it through. There's corners of the property and there's stalks that will fall to the wayside. He says, here's what you do. As you harvest your property, don't harvest the corners and don't pick up the stalks that fall to the ground. You leave that for the widows and the sojourners and the fatherless so that they can come in and they can glean. So that's what God's law said, but you know what often happened is that God's people didn't follow that law. God's law provided for help for the fatherless and the widow, for those who are sojourners or strangers or uh, in their, in their land or refugees in their land. And God's law said, allow that space for them, but God's people often wouldn't get, leave space for them. And so she's going out hoping that she'll find a landowner that won't mind her being the one that will come behind the reapers and pick up the leftover stalks of grain or work in the corners of the field and try to get enough grain together to bring home for her and Naomi to be able to eat. She's hoping that she'll find someone who's faithful who will follow God's law. See, God's given law provided for those in great need. In Exodus 22:21 and Leviticus 19:34, God said, "Don't don't oppress the stranger or don't oppress the refugee who is in your midst." In in Leviticus 19:34, he didn't just say don't oppress them. He said you should treat the stranger or the sojourner who is in your midst as if they are a native-born Jew. Think it hear that. God is talking to his chosen people, the sons and daughters of Abraham, and he tells them, if you have a stranger or a sojourner or a refugee who is in your midst, who's coming to your midst, you, they're a stranger. You don't know who they are. They might worship other false gods. They, who knows where they've come from and what they're about and what they're doing in your midst. He said, you should treat, not only don't oppress them, but you should treat them like a native born. And here's why he says you should do that. He says, because you were sojourners or strangers or refugees in the land of Egypt. God's law is said to provide for those who are in their midst who are of their greatest need. And we can just pause here and just think about that. That, that as us as believers, that should be our attitude as well. For the strangers in our midst, the literal strangers in our midst, as people come in 
to our, to our gatherings, when they come into our lives, we should not look at them as problems. We should not look at them as, I wonder what they're about. We don't know, we don't know what God they worship. We don't know what they're about, what they're doing. We should treat them. We should not oppress them, and we should reach out to them and show them kindness. Because you know why? Because Jesus Christ showed us kindness when we were refugees, when we were strangers, when we were sojourners, when he was set against us and we were set against him, he yet came and in mercy showed us love and great compassion. And we should, as people, have an attitude to that for the strangers and sojourners and refugees, the literal strangers and sojourners and refugees in our midst. We should not oppress them. We should show them care and concern and compassion like a native-born because we, by nature, have been shown compassion when we were refugees against God. So Ruth comes in, she's a Moabite. For all the people know around her, they don't know if she's worshiping the, the one God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but she's just showing up. She says, I don't have anywhere else to turn for protection except to this God who I have pledged my loyalty to. She had told Naomi, he will be my God, your people will be my people. Where you die, I will die. She had pledged herself to this God, and she had no other place to turn. And it's interesting, it's incredibly interesting to me that we see Naomi, who is the Israelite woman, sitting in this house, and we see Ruth, and it's Ruth who has this sense that if I just get out there, I am going to find somewhere that God will show mercy and compassion and protection for me, for us, through somebody. And in this interesting thing, so it says that, uh, that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall found, find favor. She had this trust that even though she was a Moabite, even though they were poor, even though that she had nothing going for her, she trusted she's going to find somebody that she's going to have favor with. And listen to what happens. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter, verse 3, so she, that's Ruth, set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, the, the wording here in the original language is really interesting. It, the wording, it literally says that Ruth, her, she chanced to chance upon the field of Boaz. It, it would be like saying, by a stroke of luck, by some crazy coincidence, she happens to show up to glean at the field of Boaz, who is a relative of Naomi and Elimelech's family. The one man who had the predisposition, who had the means, and who had the familial connection to be the help that Naomi and Ruth desperately needed, not just to let her glean some stray uh, uh, things of wheat, but actually to, to be the person who would step in and rescue and provide true protection for Naomi and Ruth. She chanced to chance upon, she by a stroke of luck happened to happen upon the field of the one man who had happened to have the disposition and happened to have the means to provide protection for her and Naomi. You know what we see here? is we see God's providence at work. You know what God's providence is? It's God's secret hand that orders and moves events that look like, to you and I, just like everyday like events. 
What we see here in this story is we see a God who is moving in the, oftentimes in the background, in the shadows. Have you ever been, have you ever been to a uh, to like a really well done uh, a play where they like change scenery between the acts? And if you're at a like a really well done play, not only the the actors and actresses is really good, but the 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 people who are working with a set are amazing. Like they'll move through and they'll change things, and you'll hardly even see it happen. It works like clockwork. It, looks, it works in the background. All of a sudden, a, a living room is turned into a street scene, and you're like, I, I really didn't see that happen. Or you, you barely saw something, and all of a sudden, everything's changed. Like, or it happens so quickly, the, the curtain comes down, and then it raises back up. You're like, how do they do that so fast? Like, it works in the background, and that's how God is at work in the background of our lives. And what this should do is it should challenge the way you and I think about everyday events. Ruth happened to happen upon the one field of the one man who could provide her help. You know what God is doing for Ruth and Naomi? He is working. Think of all that he had to work in order to make that moment happen. Think of all that he had to do to make the moment happen that Naomi and Ruth would arrive at barley harvest season. Think of what he had to do that she would, that morning, that they would lodge close enough to this field, and that Ruth, who did not know anything about Boaz, would happen to, to step to this place, and that the, the foreman of that field wouldn't chase her off. That, By the way, that they would have even ended up there because of the famine that led them to Moab, and then the family died, and then they come back, and all the crazy things that had happened. And then on this one day of all the fields that Boaz had, this would be the field that he would show up and he would address, and he would see Ruth. Think of all that, he had, that God had to orchestrate at that moment to happen. You know what God does for those who seek refuge in him? He changes history. He works through the background, underneath and above, to move things around in ways that you and I do not see and cannot understand, and it looks like she just happened to happen upon that field that day. If you're a believer, you know what he is doing, God is doing, your God is doing in your life, in your everyday life, we should wake up with an excitement and anticipation because your God is orchestrating your life, your steps, your history in such a way that his will occurs. And it should excite us, excite us to see like, what God, what do you have in store for me today? What step will I take? What turn will I make where there is a, it's going to open up new things for me, whether it's just a, a conversation I have that I don't anticipate, or a, it determines the future of my life, like Ruth and Naomi this morning. Can you imagine what God is doing in your life? If you're seeking refuge in him, if you're not a believer this morning, God has been working in your life in ways that you would not understand, in ways that you would not even admit. You, may not, you might even not even want to believe that he exists, but he has been working. If you are able to look back at this moment, you would see ways that he has worked in your life to bring you to this moment today where you would see that you are in need of a protector and he is the protector for you. He's been working in your life. God's providence is at, is at work. It, it undermines our rational explanation for events. And isn't that what we do as, as Westerners, as Americans? Isn't that what we do? We ra- I know I do it. We rationally explain away things instead of seeing God's hand at work. It undermines our rational explanations and it redefines or refines our understanding of how God's providence is at work around us. 
Your God is almighty. And if you're seeking refuge in him, there is nothing and no one that he will not move and he will not order in order for you to find refuge in him. You can live as a believer with incredible confidence because the hand of God is at work. That's the really cool thing I mentioned last week about this story is that there's no prophet. There's no priest. There's no one who comes at any point and says, here's Ruth, here's what God is doing. Today, you shall take a right turn and you shall find a field. And if you ask the foreman there today, he will let you stay and the owner will show up and the owner will end up in the future, cheating ahead, being your husband and redeeming you and Naomi. She just happened to go that way, the hidden hand of God at work. God's providence is at work, and we see his, not only is his providence at work, but we see how God moves and protects through his people. We see Boaz show up, and he comes and he, he says hello. He says, we see that he's a godly man in the way that he greets his workers, his servants. They even, we know that he's a godly man because they in turn bless him in the name of the Lord. Back, But he notices, he happens to notice this woman, Ruth. And he noticed her and he asked, whose woman is that? Or or who does she belong to? Where is she from? He's asking, what's her story? Who's her people? Like from where I grew up, we would say, you know, who's her people? Right? That's what he's asking. Who's her people? What's her story? And uh, and his servant tells her who she is. And then in verse 8, Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter. That wording there. By by the way, uh, there are certain elements of romance in this story, but this is not primarily a story of romance. This is a story of God's providence at work in everyday events. Uh, what we see at this point is we don't see any evidence. It doesn't say anything in the text that Boaz is attracted to Ruth at this point. He notices her, but he, his wording that he gives to her is a, is a familial Connection. He talks to her, hey, my, my daughter. It would not be the way that you would necessarily have approached a, uh, a woman that you're interested in. And, and two, we see also in the way that he approaches that he, he was older and she was younger. My, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? That's he saying, I'm gonna, I've told them to leave you alone. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? We see this this response of Boaz that's not based upon romance at this point. Because what we're, one reason that we know that as well is that Boaz leaves this scene for a while, and as, as Ruth continued to go through uh, the harvest season, it would have been five, six weeks would have passed through the harvest season, and we don't see Boaz again until the very end, uh, towards the end of the story. There's this whole, he's not like hanging around, like leering on her, flirting with her back and forth, like, like the, he, he sees her and he provides protection for her, and it's just out of a gracious, compassionate, generous heart, expecting nothing in return for her. And you know what he's doing in doing that? He is following the nature and character of his God. 
God has set up that not only does he provide for his people through the hidden hand of providence, but he provides protection and help for his people through his, through his other people. You and I should be looking around like Boaz to see people around us who are in need of compassion and generosity and help, and then us showing them that grace and that honor and that generosity. Notice generosity. Notice how he interacts with Ruth. He doesn't shame her. He tells the other, his workers, don't mock her. Don't make fun of her. He's providing protection, not only protection for her, but he's also honoring her as a person. And we should treat people around us with honor and generosity and respect. And you know what? Because God's people have done the same thing for us in return, haven't they? Meg and I went through this incredibly hard financial time when we were uh, fairly new, newly married. We're in our like third or fourth year. And she lost her job and uh, things were like, it was a crazy time. I mean, we added up. Like, these are the expenses, the, like, not the, the, the soft expenses. These are the hard expenses that we have each month. And here's the income that we have each month. And there was a great gulf between those two numbers, at least for us. I mean, it was a great gulf at the stage of life that we were in. And somehow, each month to month, and we were in this season, like, we would somehow make it. Crazy, like, crazy things would happen. We would show up at church and people would slip us, like they would shake my hand and literally there would be a check in their hand that would pass from their hand to mine. People would send anonymous envelopes to our house with, a, with money inside. We, we kept having like little things happen like that. We weren't telling people what was happening. We were probably too proud. We weren't telling people what was happening. We were praying. We were seeking God for help. And God's people continually showed up to help. God's people should be looking and providing in his name and in his, through his character, providing help and generosity and protection for people around us. God is protector. He protects us through his commands. He protects us through providence. And he protects us through his people. God is protector to all who seek him. Now here's, I think is one of the, just the thing that gets me just, worked up about this passage is that the Ruth who shows up at Boaz's field has little reason to expect for, for protection or help from Boaz or anyone else. She has very little going for her. Notice her response whenever he told her that he was going to help her out and he was going to protect her. Verse 10, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answers her, all that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the, the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, listen to her response this time, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to me, your servant, though I am not one of your servants. First of all, Ruth had no reason to expect help from Boaz because she was a foreigner. Because she was a Moabite, she was a despised Moabite who the Israelites would have considered like 
basically like dogs outside of the covenant of God. Even though God had told them, look out and care for the foreigner, the stranger, the sojourner in your midst, God's people, God's Israelites, they were continually looking down on the people who were around them. There was a huge racial barrier between Ruth and Boaz, and Ruth and everyone else in the whole area that she was living in. There was very little reason that she had to expect that as she showed up, they would look to her and say, hey, I'm going to help you out. They would look to her and say, you're, you're a Moabite. You worship the false gods. You don't look like us. You don't sound like us. You don't have our accent. I bet you worship the false god. You're not a person of the covenant. You're not born into our people. We have, you have no reason to expect anything from us. Go back to your people. She had no claim on God. She was not a, a child of Abraham. And she had no claim on his people. But here's the truth. God has always moved to the foreigner. He's always moved to the sojourner and to the stranger. He's always moved to the one who feels they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks who feel they have little going for them. Have you ever gone through life, maybe, maybe all your life, or just parts of it? I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and he's like, you know, sometimes I feel like I go through my whole life, and I feel like I'm looking through a window at the rest of life as people are living, and I'm kind of separated from everybody else. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt foreign? Have you ever felt distant from everybody else? Like everybody else is living life. You look on social media and see everybody's having a great, their, their greatest life now. Look how the, the cool dinner parties they're having and how their house is clean and decorated. And you look around at, at you got clothes like clean and dirty. And, you know, there's spit up on your shoulder. And I'm not speaking from experience. And there's, you know, the, it, you know, the house has a weird smell and you can't figure out where it's coming from. And if you feel like, like everybody's got their stuff together except me, I feel like I'm looking at life from the outside in. Have you felt like a foreigner? stranger. God has always moved towards the foreigner and towards the stranger. He's always moved to the ones who had no claim or no help from anybody except him. Because you know what Ruth knew as a foreigner here in Israel? She knew my only hope, my only help is from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And even though I was not born to them, even though I have grew up worshiping the false gods of my, of my fathers, I am going to throw myself on him. And he is my only help. He is my only hope. And God moves towards those who have no claim anywhere else. And you know what? You won't really experience and know the goodness and the protection that God provides for his people until you realize that you don't have anywhere else to go except him. Your intelligence, your background, your education, your uh, good looks, your athleticism, your familial connections, your uh, job, your income. You have nothing that you can truly rely upon except him. And until you know that, you will continue to trust on everything else that is false, and you, will, and you will not experience the joy of realizing that you are a foreigner and you have nothing ex to trust in and hope in except that God would bring you in to his people by his graciousness to you. Ruth had no reason to expect anything from Boaz or God because she was a foreigner. and She had no reason to expect anything from Boaz or God because she was of the lowest class. 
There's an interesting thing here in verse, uh, verse uh, 13 uh, when she says to Boaz, I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Uh, in the original language here, there's two different words for servant and servants. Here's what she's saying. You have shown kindness to me, though I am a low-class servant, and I'm not like one of your higher-class servants. The servants that she's talking about of Boaz would be people who know they belong to him or they are of his household, and so therefore they have some sort of claim or expectation from him, and he had a responsibility to them as their boss or master. She's saying, I'm not even, I don't even belong to anyone. I am the, the lowest class servant. I'm the servant of the service. I'm the lowest of the low. I have nothing. I have no protector, no patron. I have no status. I'm considered less than a servant. Not only did she consider herself less than a servant, but everyone around her would have considered her as less than a servant as well. Why would you have favor upon me? Because I am less than a servant. I am the, of the lowest class. And God has always moved to those who are of the lowest class. God has always moved to the people who feel they don't have anything going for them. God has always moved to people who feel like they don't, they're not on the top of the heap of life. They always feel like they're, they're getting, they're, they're about to be overcome with life. They're about to go under. They're about to be covered. They're about to be conquered by something, by life, because life is hard, isn't it? God moves to those who are of the low class. It, Jesus said, blessed are those who are the meek. Blessed are those who are the poor in spirit. God God doesn't move towards those of us who think we have our stuff together because we think that we have our stuff together. He moves to those who know that no matter, no matter what I might think, no matter what people around me might think about me, I know that I have nothing truly going for me except the grace of God. God moves to the foreigner to all who seek him, even the foreigner, even the low class, especially the foreigner, especially the low class, and especially the ungodly and the sinful. Ruth had no reason to expect any protection from God or for Boaz because she, by nature, by lineage, by experience, was ungodly and she was sinful. She had grown up worshiping the false gods of the Moabites. And yet she shows up and throws herself on the mercy of God. And God moves in Boaz's heart. He moves in, in his providential hand through the events of life to move towards her to protect her. Today you might be ungodly and sinful. You might have been running away from God. You might have been seeking satisfaction and protection from anywhere else, any other place. And all of us, that is, for, that is 
all of our DNA. That is all of our history. And you know who God moves to? He moves towards the ungodly and the sinful. He doesn't move to the righteous because none of us are righteous. He moves to those who are ungodly and who are sinful and realize it and accept it. You know what? I am a dirtbag and so are you and we can accept that and let's own it and come to the Lord and say, this is who I am. I fall upon your grace and your mercy as found through Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question this morning. Where are you seeking refuge? Where are you seeking help? What, what is holding you back from throwing yourself fully and totally upon God and trusting in him for him to, for he, for him to carry you in life, for him to guide you? What's keeping you back from that leap? What are you holding back? He's a refuge for all but he's refuge to those who, are, who recognize that they are foreigners and they're low class and they are ungodly and they're sinful. God is a refuge to all who seek him, who, all who seek refuge in him. Now, here's the thing in closing that I want us to look at. Why did Ruth receive help and protection from Boaz and from God. Now, I want us to cover this before we, before we move on because I don't want us to, to misunderstand this. Boaz tells her, she says in verse 10, you know, why have you taken notice of me? Because I'm a foreigner. And Boaz answered in verse 11, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So why did Ruth receive help from Boaz and from God? It, you can read this at first and think, well, she received it because he says, this is a repayment for all that you've done. You've been good to Naomi, and so now God is repaying you in return. But I don't think that's what this is saying. Here's, here's what it's saying. He, she has done those things. She left her father and mother in native land and came to a people that she didn't know. And he says the Lord should repay you for what you've done and a reward being given to you. But why did she do that? What set in motion this course of events that brought her and Boaz to this point? And it's the end of verse 12. May it be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth, back in the last chapter, she had told Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your God shall be my God. Your people, my people. And where you die, I will die. She was, she was pledging herself and devoting herself and throwing herself upon God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one true God. And as a result of that, then she was faithful to Naomi. Then she came to the land. Then she left her own people, not because she was awesome and decided to help Naomi. She did it because she saw a worth in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that made it worth it to leave her native land, to leave her father and mother, and to pledge her loyalty to him and to Naomi because she sought refuge under the wings 
of God. The wording there could be kind of weird for us to hear, but the, the picture is of, a, is of a, a mother bird who protects her chicks underneath her strong wings and keeps them safe. In Deuteronomy 32, God said that like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions, its strong feathers, the Lord alone guided him. No foreign God was with him. He's speaking about Israel. In Matthew 23, Jesus, as he was weeping over Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. I would have brought you under my protection. Ruth had transferred her allegiance from the gods of Moab to Yahweh, or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when she did so, she was claiming, she was placing herself under him, and she was claiming God as her patron and as her protector. She humbled herself. She showed faith in God. And the actions that Boaz is reciting are reciting are the outlay, the outcome, the fruit of her placing her trust upon God and placing herself under him, under his wings of protection. And you know what she sees in turn? She sees God changing and moving the events of her life and the events of Israel itself in response to her bowing her knee to him to find refuge. This morning, as we prepare our hearts for communion, I want to ask you this question again. What is holding you back from seeking total refuge in Christ? There should be nothing holding you back. Do you know how we know that God moves to those of us who are foreign and sinful and helpless? Because Jesus Christ came, one greater than Ruth. And he sacrificed his life for those who are ungodly and sinful, those who are foreign to the household of faith, to bring us near to him. So you can fully devote yourself and give yourself under the wings of God to seek refuge in him and him alone. So here's the question. What is holding you back? What's holding you back from placing your full trust, from pledging yourself to him and placing yourself under him, under his protection? Because here's the truth. God is protector for all, all those who seek him, all those who seek refuge in him. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.